Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. Hello again, everybody. The last time I tried to pull this microphone out of the stand, I pulled the whole cord out. I don't know if you remember that. Um, Not this time. Mic stand. Uh, Welcome to CCF again. Um, Once again, I am Nate Komar. I am one of the staff members here, uh, and we're really glad you're here. Um, Thanks for being here. Firstly, a lot of times when when we speak, uh, we show a few pictures. I've shown pictures of my family in the past, so I was like, well, we'll just start showing other pictures because why not? Because, you know, uh, here is one member of my family, though. Uh, yesterday was his birthday, and uh, my dad was going to be here. He wanted to be here. Uh, the snow and the weather, he did not end up coming up. Um, but this, if you want to see a picture of my dad represented by a 10-year-old, uh, this is Clayton. Um, at, the, at the age of, I think, 10, uh, sitting in the chair and giving an impression of my dad on his phone. It's very accurate, actually. This is very accurate. Um, happy belated birthday to Clayton. His birthday was yesterday, Valentine's Day. Uh, next, I actually only meant to have one of the next two slides, but I don't think I blurred them out, so I'll have a couple. This one has no bearing on my on my uh, sermon at all, but I was like, well, uh, there's one person that I mentioned, and so I was like, maybe I'll just show you a picture of my friends from college. Uh, that's the guys I lived with over there on the left. Uh, I'm going to reference Greg in a second. He's the guy on the, the one I'm like immediately hugging. I look so young, and Jesus, what in the world? Uh, there's Josh Simons, Hannah Simons' older brother, my friend Christian, friend Danny, poor Danny, he's a diehard Eagles fan, I felt very bad for him. Uh, and then that's the Fast Food 5K, a couple other guys, uh, if you want to hear all about that story, that's a great one, uh, just ask me about it sometime, it was a lot of fun. It was not a lot of fun, but it was a lot of fun at the same time. Uh, and then here is my uh, CCF staff family. I referenced them a little bit in here. And, you know, every once in a while, we, we don't really show a picture of all of us. So here we go. There we are. That was when I came in 2019. There's Mayor and Leah. If you guys remember Mayor and Leah uh, out on the, uh, the golf course, Keeve kicked all of our butts, even though we were all playing against him collectively. He still beat us all. Um, and then our current staff up there uh, at the University of Indiana's campus. Uh, it was very pretty, a little gazebo there. Um, we, I love these guys. Uh, very thankful to get to work with them. Um, so uh, tonight, um, here's this. I'm going to start off with a couple quick stories. Um, one of them, I was really hoping my dad would be here because he would get a kick out of this one. I was nine years old. Um, and I was about to go trick-or-treating, um, as nine-year-olds do, and I was an Arctic Wolf Ninja. <laughs> yeah, I specifically wanted to be that. Like, I told my parents, this is what I want to be, and I was like, there's no, there's no way this exists. It exists. I went to some Halloween store, and I found it. Uh, Arctic Wolves, I guess, are a thing. I thought they were really cool, but that's what I was, and uh, we were about to go out there. We were in our kitchen, and I was... I was parched, and I was like, oh, I'll just get a drink of this nice red Kool-Aid my dad made, which red Kool-Aid that my dad makes is basically just sugar water. Like, it's a little bit of water, a little bit of red food coloring, and sugar. That's what it is. Um, And we made it in this little small plastic pitcher um, that has a lid on it. 
And I started to go to pour it, and I wasn't really paying much attention. Uh, and, you know, I just turned it all the way upside down because that's how you get liquids out of a pitcher, right? You just turn it all the way upside down. Did not hold on to the lid, of course. And so, naturally, the lid comes off, and red Kool-Aid spills all over the kitchen floor. Might as well have been my blood because my dad was very, very unhappy. Uh, it took a long time to clean that up. The trick-or-treating night was very short. I didn't get to show a lot of people my Arctic Wolf Ninja costume after that. Uh, you know, um, I've never spilled a pitcher since then, so there you go. Fast forward nine years to the time when I was 18, and uh, my friend Greg, the guy there in the picture, uh, we were driving to a friend's house. They lived in, uh, there's like these apartments right across from Sea Hall. We called it the Fogel Fort. It's like just south of the Dekai house. There's a, like a duplex type thing right there. They live there. Um, we were driving there, and it had been it had been raining, and we were in my 2004 Toyota Corolla. Rest in peace, Carl. Uh, I miss you. Um, but we were driving there, and I accidentally, the driveways to Dekai and this duplex are right next to each other. So I pulled up in the driveway, and I accidentally pulled up into the Dekai driveway. And instead of being like a normal person and backing out and just going into the other driveway, I thought, oh, I'll just drive across this little patch of grass that's in between the two. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this. It was raining, pouring down rain, actually. Do you guys know what happens when it rains on dirt? It becomes mud. Do you know what happens when you try to drive a really heavy object through mud? It gets stuck. It, gets stuck. it sure does. So I got stuck, and so I'm like, what am I going to do naturally? I panic, and I floor the gas, and then I kick up mud everywhere, all over the road, the top of my car. Uh, naturally, I also make a huge divot in this piece of the yard, but I make it through. Um, Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So, you know, there's a lesson in that. Just push down the throttle, I guess. That's the answer to all car issues. Um, and then I parked. We go inside. Uh, I, like, keep thinking about this. I'm like, there's a mud trail from this giant hole I just put in Dekai's yard straight to my car. And so we're hanging out with people, and I just keep looking over at Greg, and I was like, Greg, we got to go. So I leave, and, wow, these just don't stay. Um, I leave, and we take it to a car wash late at night. And it's like, it's wintertime, so the car wash is like uh, closed, but you know, we use it anyway. Uh, cleaned it off and uh, took it back to West Campus. Uh, all was well. Um, sorry, Dekai. Uh, I didn't mean to drive. I tried to go back and fix it later. I promise I did. Uh, but it was no, to a no avail. So, uh, yeah, you just you learn a few lessons along the way. Um, so, if you've been with us on Wednesdays, just keep those in mind. Uh, I cannot keep these papers straight. Okay, this is how we're doing it. Okay. Thank you. Oh, I tilt the thing. Look at you guys. Another lesson learned. Isn't this fun? Um, okay, so if you guys have been with us on Wednesdays this semester, you will know that we have been journeying through the book of Psalms. If you have not been with us, we are journeying through the book of Psalms. Um, we have been so far, uh, we've been looking at them and we found that it's a book full of expression and emotions ranging wildly from praise and thanksgiving to frustration and confusion to deep despair and longing. It almost seems like a sort of journal or a diary in a way. Um, it possesses an assuring sense of relatability as we identify, we can identify with the psalmists at these different periods in our lives. Um, so today, I want to look at something that could be described as a bit more of a posture than an expression. 
Um, to be honest, most of the thoughts that I have concerning the sermon uh, came to me while I was running and listening to nothing um, except the words that were jumbling around in my brain. Uh, chalk well up to the media fast, I guess, because I wasn't listening to anything else. Um, side note, I still do prefer listening to something while running, mainly audiobooks right now. But there is something about the repetitive and rhythmic motion um, and the sound of your breathing and one step after the next hitting the ground. So I would just, you should give it a try sometime. Maybe you hate running. Uh, go for a walk. Just go for a walk in silence. It's actually pretty nice. Um, so tonight I want to point our attention to Psalm 25. Um, here are a few titles for you. Psalm 25 or Truman Today, Volume 24, Number 1, slash August 19th, 2019. Or Hockey Puck or Sweetener, you decide. Or look, it's LCAP. Or, I don't have a clip from the Grinch for this one, sorry to break the streak. I have had a clip from the Grinch in my past three sermons, and I would have had to force this one. I'm not going to force it, so it's just not happening. I'm very sorry. Um, so, I'm going to be talking from Psalm 25, so if you guys can stand. Um, I was going to have a Bible down here, but I'm just going to read it from up here. Um, I'm mainly just focusing on verses 1 through 9, so that's what I have here. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, and you I trust. Let me not put to shame. Let me be not put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. You can have a seat. So learning is something you all are familiar with. Most of you are college students. Um, have been college students, have at least taken a class before. Um, in theory, many of you are primarily, att primarily attending college to receive an education in some sort of field of study um, in which you hope to eventually acquire a job. To go further, you've actually been learning your entire life. Uh, many of my close friends from college are at the stage in their lives in which they're beginning to have kids. Um, congrats, Brian and Jamie, if you ever hear this on your second child. They posted on Facebook, so I'm sure I can say it. It's fine. Um, it's amazing how ba how quickly babies are able to pick up on their tendencies, uh, on tendencies from their parents and develop motor, motor skills in the first few years of, your, of their lives. I mean, you remember, right? You were, you were a baby one time. You learned how to sit upright, how to crawl, um, how to form real words. Then as you got a little older, you started attending school. Um, learning how to read and string sentences together. Maybe you began developing the fundamentals of a sport um, or the intricacies of playing a musical instrument. You learned how to socialize with friends and how to code switch when you were in the company of adults. You may have eventually learned how to drive a car, and you also learned that college isn't cheap. And let's not forget all the factual information that you learned through your studies along the way, namely that mitochondria are the... Thank you. Look at you guys. I love that. 
Um, George Washington was the first president. The Jim Carrey version of How the Grinch Stole Christmas is one of the greatest movies you'll ever see. All of those factual things, of course. For most of your lives up to this point, your main job has been simply to learn. And for many of you, that may still be your job for quite a few more years, depending on your course of study or your field of interest. But there seems to be a sense of finality upon the completion of your education. Surely, lessons still come up as you start a new job, or you have to learn the layout of a new city, or you have to navigate a new place to live. But it doesn't seem quite the same as the innumerable hours you spent writing papers, studying for tests, working on group projects, etc., etc. You've moved on from the learning phase, and you are entering into the application of what you have learned phase. Um, that's textbook, by the way. A similar sort of shift seems to happen with the way in which we see God and the world around us. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, it seems most of us develop a framework for the way in which we view and interact with God and the world around us in the time surrounding high school and college, kind of like, like 15 to 25 year old range. To me, this framework seems even more crucial to who we are and what makes us tick than the major that we study. And yet, it is sometimes formed before we even finish our college degree. I fit this bill. Coming to college as a freshman, I felt I had already had a firm grasp on who God is. After all, I had read through the Bible. I had been in church most of my life. Um, I know where I landed on the political spectrum, who to stick around and who to stay away from. I had my anchor ready to deploy when necessary and my course set. But then I think back to this passage. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Skipping down a little bit to verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. I will admit, nor could I find uh, the specific context of this psalm. Um, it doesn't really give much about it. Um, we do know that it is a psalm of David, um, and it comes with a note of distress. Later on in the psalm, I didn't read the whole thing, but later on uh, he says, Quote, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. And consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. I mean, it makes sense. If you know a little bit about the life of David, you know that he dealt with his fair share of conflict and he maintained a lengthy list of enemies. He also made his fair share of mistakes along the way. And while we don't know the age of David at the time of the psalm, um, we get a hint that maybe he's a little bit older. If we look at verse 7, Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Through his trials, his mistakes, his years of experience, the desire to learn and understand is where we find David in this moment. He is not insistent on a sort of my way or the highway approach or a keep my head down and just keep on pushing through. Instead, he seems to be humbly coming to God with his palms open, asking for guidance, asking to be taught. So at the age of nine, I learned a very small lesson about how to hold a pitcher and keep it from spilling. 
Um, and also how to avoid the wrath of my parents, I guess. Uh, at the age of 18, the, stack, the stakes were a little higher um, with the Delta Chi Yard. After all, I damaged property and could have incurred the wrath of a house full of angry fraternity guys. So there's that. Or at least their property owner, I guess. At the age of 24, however, I encountered a situation that brought to my attention this very concept of coming with open hands versus closed fists. A few years ago, Leah Deeker in the picture, uh, we love Leah, uh, Leah Lackey, sorry, she's married now, very sorry, Leah, um, had the interns in CCF read a book um, entitled, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. It was a book concerning racial justice and the underlying racism permeating throughout U.S. society. I won't lie, it was definitely a tough read for me. Uh, it was a no-holds-barred, abrasive approach. I felt defensive, confused, and even angry at times during reading and discussions. I couldn't understand why this wasn't bothering everyone else the same way it was bothering me. I have a vivid memory of reading the book before intern time one day and ranting to Julie about some of the claims made by the author. I can just see it like in our back bedroom. Uh, during the next year or two, though, um, I read more books that centered on the topic. Lecrae, his memoir that he wrote, um, a book called Grace Will Lead Us Home, another one called Men We Reaped. I began to question the basis for my defensive reactions and the assumptions that I was making to fuel them. As more discussions occurred and time passed, my defensive reactions decreased and an understanding, understanding began to dawn on me. I was born with privileges that others did not and do not have. In the same way that Jesus empowers, empowers, points attention to, and blesses the outcasts, the minorities, and those less privileged in society, we are to do the same. We're not to demand equity outwardly while asserting dominance subversively. It was a tough pill to swallow. Uh, here I was, a college-educated individual who had been out in the real world and certainly had things figured out. Um, and yet I was being shepherded in a way by the very people I was hired to shepherd. I give this example, in this case, not as a pulpit commentary on racial justice in America, but to show that at times learning can happen in a split second with the Kool-Aid or the tire property damage, but it can also happen, it can also be a much deeper, slower process that takes time to engage with and to unravel. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. One thing I've always admired about Leah and the rest of the CCF staff um, is a continual hunger to learn about the world around them. You guys remember the Truman Today article published about Derek, uh, 2019. How many actually actually remember this article, this video, the Truman? Derek uh, had, at that point, now it is a few more years past that, but at that point, um, he came here in 1999. He had been taking a class for 21 consecutive years there. Um, and so the Truman Today did a little article about him. There's a fun little six-minute video you can watch as well on there. Um, oh, yeah, here's a little picture of it, I think. Yep, there he is. Student celebrates two decades of learning. There he is. Look at that. Candid. Um, 
Not quite barefoot, actually. He does have a shoe on. Although I guess it would be more appropriately barefoot. <laughs> it might just be one. Um, but man, 21 years of just taking classes. I guess, what is it, 25 now? 24, 25? Um, he is certainly not taking classes in order to obtain just another degree to his name, but rather to continue to learn and engage with students. When preparing for sermons, the elder staff have advised us younglings to first sit with the passage for a considerable time before engaging any outside sources in order to see what may be revealed through silence and contemplation. The staff don't usually give straightforward answers to problems, but rather in the form of questions challenging the inquisitor to contemplate and consider. Jesus, if you remember, did a similar sort of thing. He taught in parables that challenged listeners to think and personally engage with the issue in order to get to the little golden nugget of truth that lies at the center. And even if you arrive there, newfound understanding means very little if nothing outward comes out of it. It takes effort, continual effort of the whole self, the mind, as well as the heart and the hands. Unfortunately for my scientific and rationally functional way of thinking, uh, many situations in life are, are like this, um, especially the ones that mattered most. Uh, they're not traversed simply by following uh, a dichotomous key of if-then statements. You guys remember those from science class, like hypothesis? You have to write an if-then statement. Um, or they're not just plug-and-chug math equations. Um, they're messy, fuzzy pictures that we have to sift through and sit in and hope to see what's going on. As we talked about before, the life we live is not just a straight line from point A to point B. It's actually a winding road of twists and turns. Um, as I've said before, definitely did not imagine I would be here right now doing this a few years ago. Um, have you guys ever read the Percy Jackson series? Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief. Uh, yeah, I read the first three books when I was in middle school, I think. And then I never, I like got partially through the fourth one. I just never finished them. I don't know what happened. Um, I just never did. So recently, uh, when I've been running, I've been listening to the audiobooks to like read, go back through them. Cause it's like, a, it's actually very nice to listen to a story while you're running. It really takes, uh, like gives you something to think about, uh, apart from just music. I got so tired of listening to music. Um, but I just finished the fourth one. It's entitled, uh, the battle of the labyrinth. Uh, in this account, the main characters traversed a mythological labyrinth that constantly changed as they moved through it. They could only make their way through it with constant vigilance and attention, um, to what was going on. It would have been much simpler if the maze had just been static, like those you find at a cornfield in the fall. Who likes to go to a good corn maze? Yeah, they're fun. Um, each group, if you go to a corn maze, at least the ones that I've been to in the past, uh, you're given a map that you can memorize or um, you can just follow each predictable and calculated turn um, until you reach the center, only looking up from the map uh, to avoid running into the wall that you knew was coming because you're just staring down at the map. But that's not reality. That's not the way we live life. Our lives seem to line up more closely with the living maze framework in the book. Um, we never truly know what lies around the next corner, and it's only with vigilance uh, and our eyes constantly scanning our surroundings that we navigate each twist and turn, hopefully following the breadcrumbs that Jesus is leaving behind. 
And if this is the case, how could we possibly expect to have all the answers when we don't even know how the maze will shift? If you think about it, that expectation actually seems a little arrogant. Um, as Ecclesiastes says, who can make straight what God has made crooked? That was a tough realization for my anchor-ready navigation system set Truman student self to swallow. Do not hear, though, what I'm not saying. Certainly, I am not saying that you should throw everything you've learned away every time something new comes along. Surely not. Um, the house built on the rock stands, after all, and a firm foundation is important. You guys just sang about it. The temptation, however, becomes to make the rock and the foundations not Christ and his heart, but instead our intellect, our plans, and our control. My parents, my teachers, my pastors, etc., taught me so many lessons that will stick with me. My mom taught me about patience and hard work. My dad taught me how to give generously and how to get out of my head from time to time. I'm still working on that one, Dad. Maybe I'll get there. Uh, David Inman, Dr. Reeves, Bobby Upchurch, they taught me to think critically in a number of different facets. So many people have poured into me over my 28 years here, and I'd be a fool to throw that out. No, what I'm telling you is actually quite the opposite of that. Um, take what you have learned with you and continue to evaluate it as you're faced with new situations and challenges, as you try to discern um, an ever sharper image of who God is. Um, don't close your eyes and please don't harden your heart. Oh Lord, teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. You guys ever made something with brown sugar? You guys use brown sugar? Brown sugar is pretty, pretty yummy. Um, you decide you're going to make some cookies or some cinnamon rolls or a yummy brown sugar glaze for salmon. I love salmon. Uh, typically, if you go to the, if you get brown sugar that is fresh, uh, it is malleable. Um, you can take a tablespoon, you can stick it in there, and it fits into the tablespoon perfectly, and then you plop it out, and it's just that perfect shape. Oh, it's actually very satisfying. Um, this time, however, you go to uh, the pantry, you open it up, uh, and instead of finding that nice, malleable brown sugar, you find a freaking brick. <laughs> Had that happened before? It's the worst. The brown sugar was exposed to air, and it dried out. It was almost impossible to scoop at that point and could honestly serve as a nice hockey puck if it was in the right, right shape, but that's basically it. Um, I think hearts and minds can be like that. When we're young and continually learning, we're the malleable brown sugar primed and ready to be measured, to be mixed into cookies or cinnamon rolls or that scrumptious salmon glaze. But when that process stops... Maybe when you're walking across the stage to get your, your diploma at graduation. Um, we harden as if slicing open our own plastic packaging and letting the air slowly harden us into that useless hockey puck. We become comfortable and accustomed to the way that we see things, unwilling to reconsider, and we keep on searching and keep on searching for the golden nuggets in the parables. I mean, it's, it's tiring. We have jobs to worry about. We have futures to worry about. We have our own pride, our own self-image to worry about. 
there's not enough time to keep searching and learning. Or at least that's what we seem to think sometimes. This image reminds me a lot of Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees. Uh, Jesus spent a lot of time with them, a lot of time ministering to them, um, perhaps because they were just so darn close. Because anybody seen The Chosen? I have not seen a lot of it, but I have seen the first season. Um, and in that, I think of I think of Nicodemus. Um, maybe you know the point in which I'm referencing. Uh, he was so close. Um, they knew the scriptures by heart, and they upheld the law given to Moses with the utmost zeal. They truly practiced what they preached. Um, they really did. They followed through with their actions. They were deadly serious about what they knew. But that's where they stopped. When Jesus came to bring about a new kingdom and approached things in a manner that pushed against them, they turned up their noses. Much in the same way I approached the book during intern time, they approached Jesus with closed fists wrapped tightly around their traditions and their knowledge. I and they were not readily open to recognizing an unexpected and difficult, but true, new thing right in front of them. Their strict observance of Torah was a good thing, but they were so devoted to it that they failed to see Jesus as the fulfillment of the very scriptures that they knew so well. They had hardened their hearts and closed their fists to any nuance or alternative approach. Maybe, maybe that's another reason that Jesus spoke highly of a childlike faith. Children are often eager to learn, unashamedly asking questions until they arrive at a satisfying answer. May we be like them. May we practice what we preach when we sing songs like Make Room, a song we sing sometimes here at CCF. Um, I actually remember Stephanie saying this at the very beginning of a sermon one time, uh, and I definitely agreed with her, so I'll say it again. Do you guys realize what you're asking for and proclaiming when you sing that song? Do you actually think about the lyrics? Um, you're asking God to, quote, shake up the ground of all your tradition, break down the walls of all your religion. You're proclaiming that you will make room to do, quote, whatever he wants to. Are you actually ready for that? The Pharisees were not. I certainly was not. Is your heart moldable enough for that? Here's the good news, I guess. Even brown sugar that's turned as hard as a rock can be remade moldable again with a little help. With a slight relaxing of our fingers, an unfolding of our arms, a lifting of our eyes, as Nat said on Sunday, and a dash of repentance, we can begin to not simply change our minds, but literally change our minds, hearts, and actions. Oh Lord, teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. So then what do we do with this? To me, it seems that the answer is rather simply stated. Um, I've said a lot of words to basically just make two simple requests. One keep learning. Conceptually, that seems really easy, but putting it into practice is a much tougher matter. It takes effort, but I don't have to tell you that. You don't study for a test through diffusion or by passively absorbing information. 
I wish you could. I wish you could sit a textbook on your head and it would just work. Uh, it takes time and intentional effort. Additionally, I think David gets at the key ingredient in this psalm. He says, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Humility. Humility is the key. If we go through our lives with a closed fist and an unyielding spirit like that of the Pharisees, how can we hope to allow God to work in us at all? A hardened heart cannot be molded by the God who desperately wants to do just that. If we cannot admit when we are wrong or take time to consider someone else, how can we hope to grow in understanding? If we cannot learn to listen to someone beyond simply for the purposes of finding a weak point for a calculated rebuttal, then how can we learn to love them in a way Jesus calls us to do so? If we surround ourselves with only those like us, then how can we ever hope to catch a glimpse of the kingdom God is trying to bring to the entire world? It is only with open hands, a soft heart, and a humble spirit that we can continue to learn who God is and what he's trying to do around us. And through us, and to have the strength and the conviction and love to join God in that. Maybe there are times when we need to pull up the anchor and let God's spirit or his breath blow through the sails and guide our ship. The second request sounds about as simple as the first. Pay attention. It is no secret for you all, for all you students out there that paying attention in class tends to have a positive correlation with learning for the most part. Um, I think the same is true for our lives. Ironically enough, however, it seems in many cases that there is often an emphasis that we place on acquiring a single focus and avoiding distractions while pushing towards that single focus. Pick a major, pick a career, make a decision before this deadline, etc. Certainly those things have their place. They are good and right in their place. But I wonder, and I know from personal experience, that it can be too easy to allow them to reach an extreme we can become so singularly focused on a goal or even a certain belief that we totally miss everything else on the way to it. It's like taking a hike in Yosemite, which is beautiful, and only focusing on the dirt path that's in front of you and the trail map you acquired from the visitor center with the map on it while you ignore the towering pine trees, the waterfalls, the enormous natural rock wall of El Capitan the very reason that many people actually journey to the park in the first place. And yes, of course, our God is capable of making his lessons obvious, but it seems more times than not that he chooses to take the more subtle approach. Think again about the parables. Or you might recall the story of Elijah in 1 Kings, in which God speaks to Elijah, not through a strong wind or an earthquake or the fire, but through a still small voice or a low whisper. If we're not paying attention in those instances, if we are constantly taking or talking and never listening, we'll miss it. Maybe those times of contemplation and silence and reflection during the media fasts are pretty good habits to make after all. Maybe they will keep us, like David in the psalm, hungry seekers, attentive followers, humble learners, ever malleable brown sugar people after God's own heart. O oh Lord, teach me your paths. 
Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Maybe if I had noticed and listened to more marginalized voices and accounts instead of listening to my own defensive thoughts from the outside looking in, I would have recognized my privilege earlier than my mid-20s. This represents just one of many things I've wrestled with and engaged with over the years, some obviously involving far more time and softening than others. Our learning and growing is something that surely exists internally, but it also does and should extend out communally. By rubbing shoulders with the staff here and the students at CCF, I've observed others wandering through their own living mazes, attempting to soften hearts as we collectively work to get at the heart of what Christ is hoping to do here at Truman and in Kirksville. I wonder in what areas the air has been allowed to slowly seep into the hardened bits of your heart. Perhaps it is something similar to my own wrestling. Perhaps it is political and you shudder at the mention of the word liberal or conservative. Perhaps you've been wronged and reconciliation seems impossible. Maybe the career plan that you've had your entire life has suddenly lost its luster, but you feel like it's way too late to turn back now. May we learn to open our eyes and pay attention to the lessons all around us, whether we are 9, 18, 24, 42, 83, or from 1 to 92, as Nat King Cole says. And when we, get, when we catch a glimpse of something, may we have a soft, humble heart and open hands that are willing to say, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth, and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day long. Um, I just want to close with uh, this. I was talking to Derek earlier today, and uh, as he was kind of reading through this and we were talking about it, and he said um, this prayer had continually come across his mind. Um, and when he shared it with me, I was like, I remember identifying with this quite a bit um, at the prayer labyrinth one night. Um, and so um, if you guys can just close your eyes um, as I read this um, and conclude. And open your hands as well. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We're impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet it is the law of progress that is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you, your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what time that is to say grace and circumstances acting on your own goodwill will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. Amen.